focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. Well, Marlene, I have to ask you the, the most important question of this time of the year, and that is, um, have you even started your holiday shopping yet? Because <laughs> I, I have not. And luckily, my wife doesn't listen to the show. So so I can be totally honest about my lack of, uh, of gift purchases at the moment. Well, I, I guess I'm sorry to say then that I indeed have started. <laughs> I have a, a secret Santa at work, so I've been at work on that. And also I've gotten my kids to submit their lists. Uh, well, at least one has. The other one just says money. So he's going to be disappointed. <laughs> he's he's going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, my, money is always a good gift. I, I will tell you, I came from a family that we were not too proud to, to just give money That's to, true. to people. Except people would no. always lose the money, right? And and then you'd have to go yeah. through, you'd have to go through everything that you threw out, all the boxes, all the wrapping paper in the garbage, you would have to go through and, and find it because somebody inevitably would lose it. Actually, I will say um, I did see that there was a uh, a print catalog that was laying out on the table this morning. <laughs> Earmarked? That, that had, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, said, said, Mom, look at this. And then there were all kinds of things circled inside. So I, I, I think we have some suggestions. Well, this week we bring in Alex Babin from Zero to talk about some automation processes Fascinating, Re- really, really cool stuff. That's very cool. Um, I love that his thing is always talking about the best process is no process, or the best software is no software. So exciting stuff. So stick around for that. But let's get to this week's information inspirations. Well, Marley, my inspiration has nothing really to do with legal, other than maybe some of the the legal battles that they had. Makes two of us. That's good. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> we don't do this on but purpose. My, we really don't. My favorite podcast duo are back in kind of where they originally started off. Um, Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings, uh, formerly of The Nod, which I've had as an inspiration before. They've returned to their original podcast, and they also left behind that mess that was there at uh, Gimlet Media and Spotify yeah. and are now at Stitcher and on the uh, SiriusXM platform. I'm going to put a link to their FCN podcast uh, in the show notes. But the backstory with uh, Brittany and Eric is fascinating on how they played a part in exposing Gimlet Media's problems uh, that they were having and, and how they treated their podcast host and creators, as well as their experiment at Quibi, which you may, you remember Quibi, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, uh, of course, collapsed last year. So their podcast continues their discussion on black culture uh, in their own nerdy kind of way. And the first episode uh, uh, back is a bit of a self-reflection on how they've come back to their beginnings, but as much more experienced adults this time. So I absolutely love the storytelling and honesty that they bring to the show. And even as a you know, 50-year-old plus cis male, <laughs> white male, uh, they still have things that they can teach me about humanity. And and I'm hoping that they have much better luck this time around with their podcast because they certainly have earned it. Well, you know, I think anybody that tells honest stories, you know, is worth listening to. And I think everybody gets something out of that no matter who you are. So I found a story, Greg, that has just about everything I like. It has a scrappy hero, it has AI, it has the weaving business. Now I'm stretching this to the knitting business based on my family history. 
It has dessert and curing cancer. All the good stuff, huh? Are you intrigued? I am intrigued. <laughs> yeah, I was too. So this is in the New Yorker and it's long form and everybody should read this. In the Ueno train station, and I have been there, um, there is a pastry shop that recognizes your pastry by sight when you check out. So it sees your pastry and can determine if it's a bear claw or a jelly. And you hmm. say, oh, this is neural network, right? Well, no, not exactly. It's something based on brain, which is invented by Hisashi Kambi in the 1980s. Yes, the 1980s, to identify complex patterns in weaving. Now, brain was used for other seeing projects. So rendering kanji characters on computers, uh, it was used in a tool to, for engineers to build bridges. Then came the bakery scan project in 2007. So we're still in 2007. All right. This is still before neural nets. Um, people like their pastries unwrapped because they looked fresher. So there's no barcode to scan. And, you know, really, who wants the cashier to handle your pastries? Like, ooh, David. Um, Camby bet the farm on this project. And there were so many considerations they had to think about. So the lighting, for example. That changes all day in a bakery, so shadows interfere with seeing. Um, if two pastries are put too close together, so they look like one big one would cause a problem. So, so Camby developed a backlight and an algorithm to identify, I love this, bakeness to color. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to resolve some of the issues they faced. You know, you think it could have just ended at that, but in 2017, the Louis Pasteur Center for Medical Research in Kyoto approached Brain to develop a version of bakery scan for pathologists. Uh, so they're looking at cells instead of baked goods. Uh, other domains soon followed, so distinguishing pills in hospitals, counting the number of people in an 18th century ukiyo-e woodblock print, which I gotta check out, <laughs> um, used to label charms and amulets for shrines and to detect incorrectly wired bolts and jet engines. So it can be said that there are still areas where deep learning neural networks are still impractical. So if a bakery introduced a new variety of pastry every week, the deep learning system would require thousands of examples. If you show the bakery scan a pastry that's never seen before on earth, uh, it will recognize the next one at 40%, and at five viewings at 90%. Plus this hard engineered system, um, results are more articulable than a deep learning system. You can actually understand why the system misidentifies as opposed to kind of the black box of neural networks. So, you know, it's very rare to see this sort of development now. I mean, it's, it's truly artisanal like bread. <laughs> uh, you know, I see what you did there. Yeah, you do. Uh, you know, deep learning takes a lot of the work around the parameters out of the equation. You know, I'd be actually very curious to hear what our neural network expert friends have to say about this. What made this project successful in its day and, and you know, to this day is, is a focus on a specific task and a specific set of data. And, and the last thing I want to say is I do like this one quote that Compi has in the article. It's being a good company is more important than becoming a big company. That's wise words. And that wraps up this week's Information Inspirations. Today's guest discusses what I think would be the holy grail of the legal industry and in creating change without attorneys actually having to change the way they work. This type of automation seems to answer a lot of the issues that most of us run into when we're bringing in that change to the firm. 
we'd like to welcome Alex Babin, CEO of Zero, to the Geek and Review. Alex, it's really good to have you here. Thank you, Marlene. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to your current position? Well, we're a Silicon Valley company, and um, you know how startups being founded in Silicon Valley, the idea comes to someone's uh, mind, and uh, then you start sharing it with friends. And if they feel like it's a good idea, they start joining you. That's the same story happened here. Uh, we didn't start in a garage, though, uh, like like Apple did or many other companies. We were starting in a nice, nice, cozy office, but it started the same way. I had an idea of uh, automation uh, to be uh, applied to knowledge workers, uh, and that was the fascinating problem to be uh, to be solved and really hard one. And I started showing it to a couple of my friends, and they joined me as a co-founders. And here we are, six years later, seventy-five people believing in an idea and uh, building this company. Yeah, every time I think of Silicon Valley, I think of the uh, the HBO show or Showtime. <laughs> I can't remember where where they're like in a in a house in a in a garage, and, uh, um, and I think that's what everyone thinks of uh, with, with Silicon Valley. I did want before we dove in uh, to the conversation, uh, you've been doing something that that I've enjoyed and I think a, a lot of people have enjoyed, yeah. and that is during the uh, pandemic, you actually uh, established this monthly comedy night, mm-hmm. and um, you had one of our uh, favorite past guests on the show, Eugene Ciperoni. and We love Eugene. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. Um, in fact, I think Hi, uh, you know he he was supposed to be like the the warm up act one one month, and I think he kind of like outshone. Yeah, he stole the, the show. He stole, stole the, the show. show. That was so, intentional. Well, that was good. intentional. <laughs> good, good, good. But uh, so, how how did you come up with that idea? So it all started with uh, Ilta going virtual uh, in the middle of pandemic, and uh, we picked up the sponsorship for a comedy show. Uh, which was basically the last one left. Um, and no one knew how this uh, virtual event would uh, would work out. So we decided, like, why, why wouldn't we do something that uh, we can basically contribute back to the community? Because seeing all over again those uh, pitches from uh, different companies about the products might be a bit boring, especially when um, things like COVID happening around. So for us... Getting something to make people smile, one smile at a time, was something that we actually wanted to contribute to. And actually, that was accepted so well, so we decided to have it on a monthly basis, inviting different uh, comedians. And then we realized, we were surprised to realize how many of legal professionals are actually into comedy and they're willing to step up and uh, do the part of a show. And I think it's partially because they consider part of the work they're doing kind of a bit boring, so they need to substitute with something more, uh, more enjoy, um, uh, something to enjoy with, and that's the comedy. And we keep doing it. Well, that's our giving back to the community, one smile at a time. Yeah, we we have to laugh at ourselves because otherwise we would just be crying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And I can say I know more than one litigator who's who's basically turned to stand up. So. Uh, not not surprising at all that you have so many so many comedians in the legal community. So I want to switch more to the main topic of our interview, and I'll start with this question: What's the key pain point for lawyers in their day to day work, Alex? 
besides not having enough comedy yes. uh, in their lives? <laughs> um, well, I would put it this way. I, I kind of uh, understand that people who spend a lot of time getting into the profession, which is really, really requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of practice, they never thought how much tax, I mean, like productivity tax, everything they're doing on a daily basis would take. So no lawyer went to law school to file emails. Little did they know how how much time it will take them uh, every day. The same with time capture. And if you talk to any legal professional asking for three top things that they have to do every day, but they kind of don't like doing, and that consumes a lot of their time, that will be probably email management, time capture, time management, and uh, document review, right? So document review is a separate uh, topic. It's more of a practice of law. But email management and time capture, it's a part of a business of law that we try to automate. And those pain points, they accumulate into basically to bill eight hours, you have to work 12, right? Or to bill bill 12 hours, you have to work much more. So actually, that creates an enormous tax, both on time and on health and uh, uh, kind of a joy of life for legal professionals. We know they burn out really quickly. We, We see this enormous hours uh, associates have to work and that's what needs to be changed these pain points are really it's it's not like a scratch on the knee it's like feeling like a axe stuck in the back i i remember years ago i had a uh, i had one of my researchers who was entering in his time uh and then he very sincerely asked me, like, well, can I enter in? Is there a time entry I can enter in for my time entry? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly like, it is. That's the tax. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, um, it, and so I know I know that uh, you focus in on the the business side of law, not necessarily mm-hmm. the practice side, but just that amount of uh, time that we have to spend. And you know, filling out the paperwork, uh, getting time entry, and filing those emails, as, as you said, and so, uh, and I know that you do a lot with with automation with zero. Now I know there's a lot of automation products out there that are focused on you know creating uh, workflow efficiency. You know, what's the focus that zero has, and and you know, what's your way of distinguishing yourself from from the others? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Greg. So you're right. There are so many automation, not just products, but also techniques. There is a business process automation, robotic process automation, intelligent automation, all that stuff. If we look at this whole picture from like 10,000 feet view, we'll see that there are processes of a high volume that can be easily automated, like taking data from one place and putting data in another place. But there are processes that require mimicking the decision-making process of a human being. It's called cognitive processes. And these processes are really hard to automate. And typically those processes of a high value, not high volume, like with other type of automation. And I'll I'll give you a couple of examples, but just to set the, the framework here, if you can imagine a Venn diagram of three circles overlapping, one circle would be 
high value processes. Another circle would be uh, repetitive processes. And third one would be cognitive processes. So what zero is doing is in the middle of those three circles overlapping. And it's called productivity automation. Because most of the productivity tools and techniques, they are focused on taking on the high volume processes that basically connecting different systems uh, and taking information from one place to another or well-defined processes like workflow automation when you have defined steps. But what's really, really important, and that was the blessing and the curse once we started building our solution, is that there is only one thing that is in common for every knowledge worker in the world. Might be accountant, might be a lawyer, might be consultant, anyone. Only one thing is that we all work differently for the high value processes. One lawyer might be doing his time or her time differently from another lawyer in the same firm. Daily basis, weekly basis, uh, grouping things, uh, breaking them down into smaller items, describing it differently, and so on and so forth. And I, I can go on and on with uh, differences. And that's the only common thing. So basically, you cannot build an automation technique or automation tool that will fit all. One fit all doesn't apply here because uh, attorneys are highly trained professionals. And if you try to uh, make them work differently from how they've been trained themselves to, that's a recipe for disaster. That means the automation that you bring in should be ideally invisible. No tricks to the new uh, new tricks to learn. Adaptable. It should be adapting itself to the way professional works, not trying to adapt the way the professional work to to the new technique. And that creates a lot of lot of uh, problems when creating this kind of a platform, which we spent six years building. And that's why it's called productivity automation because it elevates the productivity of each individual professional while working with the different legacy systems. Instead of connecting two legacy systems, we focus on the knowledge worker and the um, high value processes that that knowledge worker is involved with. So Alex, you, you touched a little bit on some of the themes of my next question. Uh, you know, automation tools have been historically hard to implement, uh, you know, based on the tech itself. Again, if people have to learn something new and the resistance to the need to learn a new way of doing things. So how have you and your clients combated this? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And that's a well-known problem for the whole industry. It's not the cost of the product that um, scares uh, clients in many cases. It's the cost of knowledge uh, change management. The change management is what constitutes basically of those enormous processes inside the, the, the law firm once the product is being deployed. So there are many great products on the market, but then it uh, basically hits the reality, the product hits the reality of internal culture and uh, resistance from lawyers to adapt new techniques, new, new software and everything else, and it just breaks down into pieces, right? And in physics, for example, we know that from physics, we know that the ideal machine is the one that doesn't exist, but the job is done. So we have similar concept. We believe that the best interface is no interface. 
the best software is no software. Imagine the work is done, but you, ha- you didn't do anything to make that work done. Uh, and it's not applicable in most of the cases to practice of law, but we are touching the business of law only. Imagine those one third of your time as a legal professional that you spend on doing those business of law processing uh, processes just disappears that and you can spend that time on billable uh, activity. So in this case, all these processes that consume a lot of your time can be done by a machine. And if you combine it with a um, cognitive component, which mimics the way you work, and that's where the magic uh, is being unlocked because the machine works the way you would work. I've been talking um, recently to one of the attorneys at MLO 100 and asked her, like, what would be your ideal situation? And imagine you have a magic wand, Harry Potter's or whatever, a magic wand, and you can do your magic trick and make yourself productive. Would, what would, would that be? And she said, I would clone myself. I have someone like me working for me. So it's like, well, it's unachievable, but we can solve a partially, like the portion of it for you, uh, helping you with a machine that will be mimicking the way you work and doing those uh, administrative tasks for you. So that's the way the, uh, the tech industry should go. We should not be introducing new software, no new interfaces, no change management. We just need to help legal professionals to do the work better and faster. Well, Alex, when you, when you say, for example, when you talk to this this partner and you you tell her that you're going to automate it, how do you approach it in a way that she understands what you mean by automating the the task? What are, are there some simple examples that you use? Absolutely. So, uh, actually, the simpler it is, the better it is. The first question is like, what is it you don't like doing every single day, but you have to? And typically, one, two, three processes come up as a, on the top of the list, and at least two of them can be automated with the, the products we have. So basically, we always start with a problem that the end users have. And once they realize that they don't have to learn new tricks, but it can be done, and it can be effectively uh, automated, And the analogy we're using is saying, like, basically, imagine you have an AI assistant that works the way you want it to work, 24-7, not taking breaks, not being paid, and doing things the way you would like to be done. That's exactly what uh, intelligent automation and and productivity automation is. And uh, then once they start seeing the results, and typically ROI is on the first day, once you turn on the solution, it starts filing for you, starts doing your email management, it starts capturing your time. Uh, and then typically both firms and users, they come back to us saying, hey, can you automate this and that? And of course, we have to triage it because not everything needs to be done. Not everything can be automated and not everything should be automated. But in many cases, they're the full bucket of uh, things that uh, end users want to automate. Is there typically a top one or two things that, that they come back to you and say, these are my pain points? Uh, yes. And actually, that's how our whole suite of 
productivity tools has been built. We started uh, about uh, five years ago uh, with uh, when we entered the legal market with a very simple but powerful tool of email compliance automation, where each email in your Outlook has the client and matter prediction and then being filed into iManage on that document so you don't have to do it manually. So, uh, and then we started getting the feedback from users. And the second, the most uh, requested thing was time capture. Can you guys do the time capture for us? Because we spend a lot of time doing it and the accuracy is not very high and we're being under pressure for billable hours and so on and so forth. So we did build that. We built it on mobile first. And recently we released a product called Apollo, which kind of have 300, uh, 360 degree view now on everything a legal professional is doing both on mobile and a desktop. Uh, and another example is wrong recipient detection when attorney might be sending an email to someone and accidentally adding opposite counsel or someone else, another John Smith, and realizing it only he, like once uh, clicking the send button. And that can be easily prevented with, uh, again, with uh, security automation. All kind of things that uh, surface up while uh, working with our clients. Yeah. Or, or if they're like me, you don't figure it out until you've hit reply all about three times. So. Oh, you know what, Greg? <laughs> you know, uh, reply all is the most expensive button in the world. Yes. I, it I, costs I us yes. so much money. That's, that's, a, that's a true statement right there. That, that sure is. So. Uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, time automation because I think that that's something that a lot of attorneys think about, they they want, but I think it's hard for them to kind of wrap their head around the process of that. So what have you found that works best for th this type of time automation capture? Uh, actually, uh, let's go back to a couple of uh, minutes ago when we were talking about the uh, invisible automation. So the best one is the, the one that basically you don't have to interact with. There is no interface. Just do your work. You, you, you do your billable uh, work, and then you see everything magically appear in existing systems. So there are two components. One, it should be non-intrusive for the end user. Again, no learning new tricks, no new buttons, no new software. We all hate it, not just attorneys. We all hate it. But on the other hand, we have existing law firm's infrastructure that has been uh, there for years and uh, a law firm might be spending millions of dollars on setting it up, training people, making sure every, everything works fine. And then if you need to change it to something new, that's typically really hard to, to, uh, to do. And in, in our case, it's both non-intrusive for the IT and the management of the firm because as automation, Apollo and all our products, other products, live and sit on top of existing systems never replacing anything, but enhancing things. It's um, Think of it as an intelligent layer between the legacy system, any of them, and the end user. And that intelligent layer produces the, the work that the, the end user, a lawyer, at the end just reviews and says, well, that's, that's fine, or changes things, and then the system learns from it. So it should be non-intrusive and invisible, both for the user and for the infrastructure. And that's the beautiful part of automation because it can be set up pretty quickly and you start getting ROI on the first day and it's less risky uh, because asking a law firm to change time and billing system to something new, well, it's really, really hard. 
but enhance it, that's much easier and less risky. Do you have uh, any type of metrics on on the ROI? Is there a percentage of time capture that that you're catching that's normally been missed? One of our clients recently published a case study, Winthrop Weinstein, it's available on our website. once they launch our, our product, they uh, they found over 20 hours, new billable hours per timekeeper per year. And the number keeps growing. The more, uh, the more the product and the system is being adopted, more people using it, more time is being captured. And that's been done without any efforts from, uh, from the end users, from the attorneys. Yeah, that is fantastic because... You know, we're talking about pain points. You know, this is a pain point. Attorneys consistently, you know, don't get their time entry in. It's like, you know, there's there's always memos going around. Make sure you get your time and make sure you get your time. And so you know that they're not capturing this like every day, every second. But yet this is a product and this is a tool that can basically do that for them. And they don't have to think about it. Correct. And I'll say one other thing, because I, I kind of brought this topic up to a, to a friend of mine to say, is this something that would just aggravate the client and, and because it's like, oh, well, there's, you know, that's time I wasn't billed. And he actually came back and said, no, actually the, the client is fine with this because it gives them an actual more accurate time capture and entry so they know exactly what's going on. Whereas before it may have been, you know, the bulk billing or, you know, or just some generic entry on there. So, you know, his approach to it was they don't mind because it actually gives them a clearer picture of what's what's going on. Yeah. And more predictability. And, you know, it certainly helps the firms sort of figure out, I mean, if they're trying to do, you know, different types of pricing, that they have a real true picture of what that, you know, what that costs. Correct. All right, so Alex, you you had mentioned Apollo. Um, tell us a little bit about it and how it works. Uh, Apollo is an extension of our mobile time capture. It basically utilizes the same AI engine that we've been building uh, that understands what client, matter, project, anything, uh, each piece of information belongs to. And then it has the component, the activity capture component, which looks into what is being done and combining those two engines that understands what you've been doing and then understanding who you've been doing it for, what client that matter, and uh, then utilizing the natural language processing to actually create the description, the narrative, the way you would create it using the same words that you've been creating historically, looking into the billing guidelines and understanding how client would love to see it and creates the final time entry in existing system. Let's say you have uh, Adder and I time keep or Intap or Carpe Diem. This system, the legacy system stays the same. Those time entries are being auto-populated into existing system. And let's say your your uh, your attorney, go, you go into your uh, eye time keep at the end of the day and you basically see your whole day being described as time entries and if for example and here is here is the power of automation let's say you worked on an email for you read an email for three minutes it's below the uh the threshold for being captured typically you you will not spend two minutes 
describing the, the, the creating the time entry for three minutes that you read an email. You typically jump from one to another. But then you download an attachment from that email and you spend another three minutes reading that uh, attachment and then you skipped it and jumped to another task. So our consumption is really, really fragmented. Even if we try to kind of a streamline it and have it in, uh, in chunks, it's still fragmented. And it's impossible to capture all that time. But in case of Apollo, it will combine those elements into one time entry, which belongs to one client and one matter. It will capture that email activity. It will capture that uh, reading the document, Word document. Even if you had a call after afterwards just uh, to discuss that document with a client, it will also be, be combined into one a one-time entry. So it will give you not thousands of tiny fractions of uh, time during the day, but beautifully created and structured time flow. And that requires few clicks and few interactions later to actually understand what is what is you want to build for or not. So yeah, and and I imagine the doing it that way it reads better um, for for a client as well because it's not all these little bits and pieces. It basically puts it all together. Right. Well, yeah, I was going to ask about you know how it differs from some other tracking tools like Element Fifty Five, but. Um, I think you've explained that, and you've also mentioned that it integrates with time entry systems. I mean, have you gotten any pushback on that? Not at all. Actually, uh, when we started working on our platform, and not just Apollo, but all the other automation components, we were talking to many firms trying to understand how they would see the ideal product delivered. And you know what they told us? The best product is no product. So we don't have to implement it. The best interface for our attorneys would be no interface. So we don't have to teach them how to do that uh, new new things. And we implemented all those techniques when we started building our products. And now we have few pushbacks on uh, sometimes there are technical issues. For example, a law firm might be using some technology that we do not support yet, but it, it's it's coming into um, into the kind of a family of integrations we have. Right now, we support most of the systems um, that are available on the market, but sometimes there are technical issues, but those are really easy to solve. It's just a new integration that being added to automation suite. We've talked a lot about uh, automation of time entry and of email and filing. What are, what are some of the unique things that you've been asked to, to help automate? Well, couple of things and right now we're working with a couple of our partners and one of the examples I can bring in is court notices automation of in, uh, court notice intake and then creating the tasks out of uh, something that clients asked to do to do so basically if you look into the whole um, suite of things that um, knowledge worker or legal professionals doing during the day it consists of information intake and information we send out and processing this information in between. So both parts of intake and sending the information out can be automated. And beautiful example is court notices. They are getting in thousands of them uh, and then the court notice need to be profiled, they need to be put into DMS, they need to be taken care of and so on and so forth. And that's a high value process. If you miss one, that's where it can be costly. So uh, all those things are uh, really um, the target of productivity automation. 
Well, Alex Babin from uh, Zero, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to come in and talk with us. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Marlene. It was my pleasure. Well, I always love talking about automation and uh, improving workflow. And so, uh, you know, Alex hit both of those those points. Yeah, I think his, his idea that being able to have the attorneys just continue to do the things they always do without changing, it's kind of like the holy grail of mm-hmm. <laughs> of the legal industry when it comes to automation. Um, and so it's and – I, and I know I, for one, think that the attorneys would love to for that to, to oh, happen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like – and I like that phrase. What is it? The best solution is no solution, right? Absolutely. What, yeah. yeah. The best solution is no solution. Yep. Yeah, well, thanks again to Alex Babin, the CEO from Zero, for uh, taking the time to talk with us. Yep, thanks, Alex. And of course, thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to the Geek and Review podcast. If you enjoy the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at M on Twitter. And I can be found at Glambert and on Twitter. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Geek and Review hotline at 713 713- 487-7270. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David Paseca. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, I will talk with you later. Okay, bye-bye. Devil